All right, let's go ahead and get started. Job chapter 1, and I think David has already read this, but let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Remember the Lord, we, we are few in number this morning, but the Lord has here whom he wants here. Keep that in mind. Job chapter 1, 1 through 5. ESV. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their sisters, their three sisters, to eat and to drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today and we thank you for this example in Scripture that you've given to us. As we break down these five verses and look at them, Lord, I, I ask that, that you'd show us clearly Lord, what it means to be a father. Lord, we all might have distorted views on what that looks like, depending on our raising. And We know, Lord, that you are our great heavenly father that leads us and guides us. But Lord, there are earthly fathers that, that are godly examples. And so as we look at this one, Lord, I pray that it would touch our hearts to be more like this. We love you, Lord, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Fathers, today we will look briefly at a man who was wealthy. Scripture teaches us that. That he was elite. That he was prosperous in all his ventures. The certain father had it all in the world's eyes. When you look at Chapter 1 in Job, and and I've talked on this before, but not on this particular part of the passage of Scripture. Uh, When you look at who Job was in the world's eyes, he had it all. He had power. As a matter of fact, the Scripture teaches us there was none like him in the East. Now we know that when we view that in light of Scripture, we take that from Jerusalem. So from Jerusalem to the east of that, that would be out into the desert. And so there was none like him in the east. This man was a man of wealth. Wealth. He had um, a lot of stuff, man. He had wealth. He had power. He had elitism. He had all of these things. But we know that he loved the Lord. Now with elitism and power and wealth comes multiple opportunities for sin, doesn't it? Well, poor people can sin, right? Okay, I know that there's a few people in here this morning 
but y'all are going to have to talk to me. Poor people can sin, right? That's right. Well, when you're given wealth, you have a lot more opportunities with a lot more different things, and it's on a lot bigger scale. And so you have to be very careful with what you do. Here, Job had it all in the eyes of the world. We have all heard the expression, the bigger they are, the what? The harder they fall. Why do you think Satan took Christ up onto the top of the temple? For that very reason. Job had it all. And it's true. It's true. It it is so incredibly true. Those that have been elevated by God and, and even by man must be careful. They've got to be careful. Not only to avoid their own destruction, but also giving in to all that the world offers. All that the world offers could cause extreme humiliation in the the life of Job. But not only extreme humiliation, but his testimony. But not only his testimony, but the church, the bride of Christ, those that associate themselves with the Lord God Almighty. It puts a blight on who he is and what he has done for us. And so we see Job and he has a lot to contend with. He has a lot here. Well, we know the scripture teaches us when there's a lot given, a lot is required. And this was Job. This is why as Christians, we must make sure that our testimony is sure. How we live our lives and how we conduct ourselves. Do we mess up? Yeah, you better believe we do. Is there time to redeem ourselves? Yep, there sure is. So today we're going to talk about this man Job, and we're going to see how he lived his life. And as fathers, we need to take an example of this and look at this. And I'm going to start first with this because this is where I always start anytime I speak about anybody in the Scripture outside of the Lord. Listen to what it says in verse 1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. Now, if you were here for Brother Boyd's funeral, you knew that I, that I talked about Nicodemus and how he had four strikes against him in, in John chapter 3 and verse 1. Now, there was a man named Nicodemus of the Pharisees, a ruler is what it says about Nicodemus. Four strikes against him. But I want us to look at this Job as as a little bit different because the scripture doesn't start quite like that. It starts with man because we can't get away from that. That is all of us. But before it goes on to tell us about what he has, it goes on to tell us about who he loves. And here is the stark contrast between Nicodemus and Job. Job and Daniel, as a matter of fact, were a lot alike. They had a lot of power. They were exalted to high positions. Joseph as well, but loved the Lord. And so it is possible for this to take place even though it's, 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 you don't see it too often. Verse 1 says, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. It's not starting off too good for him. 
Because first we see that he was a man. And we've talked about this before, but it is always worthy of going back over. This is nothing that none of us can get away from. We cannot get away from the fact that we are mankind. That we are a descendant of Adam. And this is clear in verse 1. There was a man. It does not say a spirit. It does not say an angel. It does not say a dog or a creature. It says a man. We know man left to himself is sin diseased. Physically, that's why you see all of the ailments and all of the weaknesses in the flesh. But dead spiritually without God's grace. This is what man is. And so it starts off like this and shows us what Job, who he, who he is. He's, he is a man, but it doesn't leave him there. It shows us a little bit different as we move on. Man needs a renewal. A renewal. Does he not? He needs a special calling, a calling of grace and unmeasurable love. Man needs a savior. He needs a savior. He needs a redeemer, a deliverer. Man needs someone who was and who is and who is to come. This is what man needs. Man needs Shiloh, the peacemaker, Jesus. The captain of the Lord of hosts. The rock of our salvation, the firm foundation, a rock that is higher than us, a cornerstone, the top of that stone, the capstone. He needs, man needs the one that has a head adorned with many crowns. This is Jesus that we're talking about, Christ. Job knew who he was. Job loved him. And this is what man needs. The remedy for man is Christ. Always will be. Always has been, always will be. Man needs a restorer, a mediator. Man needs a light. Not just a light, but the light. Man needs the living water, just as the woman at the well did, the bread of life. Man needs a brother born for adversity. You go through and you see all the, all the things that come against us in life. And there was one that was born for that. There was one that was born to take on that adversity and to crush its head. And his name is Christ. This is what man needs. Man needs a friend that sticks closer than a brother. One whose countenance is of Lebanon, full of strength. Lebanon was known for its trees, the cedars of Lebanon. Man needs one of great strength and great power like that of Lebanon. Man needs something outside of themselves. And we can't get around this. And so I spend time on this because this is the chiefest among all things in this world. Man needs something other than themselves. He needs the chiefest among ten thousands. He needs the rose of Sharon and what? The lily of the valley. He needs the bright and morning star. He needs the mighty God, the nail that was fashioned in a sure place, the one that angels cry out to and sing, and they still sing, holy, holy, holy. Man needs a savior. 
a shadow for the heart, a refuge from the storm. Man needs a leader, according to Isaiah, and a commander. Our righteousness, the hope of the people. The Nazarene, the carpenter, Jesus, the day spring. The Christ, the anointed one, the word, the only begotten son, the Messiah, the way, the truth, the life, the vine, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Man needs the one who humbled himself, even death on a cross. This is the one that man needs. And this is why we always see man in scripture because man fell. Man needs Jesus Christ the same that's yesterday, day, today, and forever because we're not the same. He is immutable and He changes not. Man needs the good shepherd to lead us, the great shepherd to provide for us. The author and the finisher of our faith, the beginning and the ending and the alpha and the omega. That's what man needs. Job needed this man that I'm talking about. And in fact, Job had this man. He had him. He had the Christ. He had the Redeemer. He knew of the one that was to come. And he believed in him. And so where we see this in Scripture at, as at, in the very first, man, right here in the beginning, when it begins to speak about Job, it does not talk about uh, all of these, all of his stuff first. But it talks about something else. The Lord of hosts was Job's Lord. What's well, quiet as a pen in here this morning? Hmm. Pay attention, guys. Rich people, elite people, people of power. People that have been exalted, whether by God or by man, still need a Savior. Notice what's next about Job. It tells us his name, doesn't it? There was a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job. So it identifies him. It identifies him. What a name this is. Because it tells us that there was no one else like him in the East. That's a pretty powerful statement. No one else like him in the East. Greatest in the East. He would have been known. People would have known who this man was. He had a name that he could have probably have glorified in. He could have had a name, he had a name that he could have been conceited in and a name that he could have pushed his weight around and probably got what he wanted, controlled all things to himself. He had great power and great wealth. But he didn't glory in himself, but rather he gloried in his Lord. Listen to what it says in 19 and 25. We know this verse. It says, for I know that my Redeemer lives. This is what Job is saying. I know that my Redeemer lives. 
Who is his redeemer? The Christ, the anointed one, the one that was to come. He says, I know that my redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see from myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. Job knew that he trusted in the Lord. He knew that he loved the Lord and he believed in the resurrection because he believed believed in the one that was to come. He knew that if he died, he would come back to life and take back on flesh and be resurrected back to new life. Job believed in the Lord God Almighty. And this is quite the difference in how we see people as they are presented in Scripture versus Job as he is presented in Scripture. Job, even though he was a a man which had a great and powerful name. He knew he was nothing, nothing without his Redeemer. Verse 1, let's finish the rest of it. Listen to what it says. There was a man in the name, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless does it start off with all that he had does it start off with all of his possessions and his wealth and his children it does not it starts off ladies and gentlemen with who he was in his redeemer before anything else it says and that man was blameless it says he was upright One who feared God, which meant that he would have been very wise and turned away from evil. Just like Daniel. You remember Daniel, he, he went to his, his room up into the, the upper, upper room of his house and he, and he prayed looking towards the temple three times a day. Even though he was so high up in command. Daniel put the Lord first. This man here did the same thing. See, I want you to understand that salvation is not just for the simpleton. It's not just for the naive. It's not just for the one that, that, that is, is poor or weak. But salvation is also for the mighty that's in the land that is willing to submit to the one that's mighty in heaven. It seems, and I've seen this a lot, and it seems in this life that that the more a person has, the harder it is for them to trust in others, let alone trust in the Lord whom they cannot see. Have you all found that to be true in a lot of cases? Yeah. What happens? Well, America's a prime example of that. We came over here as little pilgrims, poor, peasants, destitute, dying of plagues and all the different things, almost starving to death, but trusting in the Lord. A couple hundred years later, (laughs) we made a mess out of ourselves, ain't we? Why? Because we were blessed. And we begin to look at the blessings more than the blesser. 
the gifts more than the giver. That's where America's went wrong. They've put their strength and their trust in their own arm and not in the right hand of the Lord. But it does. It seems like the more a person has, it's harder for them to trust in others, let alone trust in the Lord whom they cannot see. But not Job. Not Job. Job, like Daniel, was a blameless man. Remember when Daniel was in the lion's den? He answers back to the king and he says, I have been found blameless. This was Job. Blameless man and upright. Not because he worked at being good. Now, pay attention to this. Not because he worked at being good. He did, but rather because our Lord had saved him. Job had put his trust in the Lord God Almighty. And he had kept his Lord first. He was not exalting idols before his Lord. This is one of the oldest books in all the Bible. This book right here, Job. It was said to have taken place around the time of Abraham and the patriarchs. One of the oldest books, but yet all the way back then, Job, there was this righteous man that believed in a Redeemer that was to come. And put him before everything else, including his own home. Look at the text. It says it right here. He was blameless, upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Before anything else is mentioned, this is mentioned about Job. Now let's read 2 and 3. There were born to him seven sons. Wonderful. That is, that is, that is amazing. Seven sons. Three daughters. His quiver was full. Blessed is the man whose, whose quiver is full. He had a lot of children and they're a heritage to the Lord. They're a heritage. They're They're good. He had them. He possessed 7,000 sheep. Now, we don't see a lot of sheep over here, but Bester tells me he eats a lot of sheep over in South Africa. 7,000 sheep. You believe that? 7,000 sheep. 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. But I want you to notice the placement of verses 2 and 3. The placing of all of his riches came after who he was in his Redeemer. They were never meant to be before that. Why? Because that would show idolatry, wouldn't it? Here we have Job in this text, and it shows us that before he had all of these things, before it speaks about what the Lord had blessed him with, it speaks about how he loved the Lord. His trust was not in horses. His trust was not in chariots, was it? 
His trust was not in any type of wealth, but in the Lord. This father, today is Father's Day, this father Job put his heavenly father before all things. So first, before we go any further, we have to see as dads, we are to do this as well. So often dads leave this for the mother to do. And that's not the proper order. This is another reason why America is failing. Not because we have exalted gods before the God, but we as also as men have become silent in the home and in the church. Fathers not speaking up and fathers not taking care of their own children. Fathers leaving. Fathers not praying and tending to their own children. Fathers not spending time with their children and their homes. You say, well, they got to work. Yes, they do, but work can be a God too. Remember, before there was the church, there was the home. In the garden, there was the home. And it has to be a priority. So first, as dads, we're to do this as well. What we have and the things that we own do not define us, nor should define us, nor should we put our strength in them. But the Lord first. And we know this is self-explanatory. We know it's self-explanatory, but just because it's self-explanatory doesn't mean that, that it's okay to not do it. We have to do it. We have to put him first. As fathers like, like Daniel and, uh, I, don't, I don't know about Daniel, but like uh, Job putting the Lord first, we have to do that. Have to. No getting around it. I'm almost done. Pay attention to me. Listen to what it says. Four and five. Four and five. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. Sound like birthday parties, right? Sound like a birthday party. Carmen can't even imagine cooking for this many people. She just she thinks about seven brothers and three sisters and the youngins with them, and she's just like, oh my goodness, I don't even, <laughs> I don't even want to think about that day. And James certainly doesn't either, because he, he gets tied into it and in all the cooking. But listen to what happens. They would have these great feasts. Verse 4, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. Ten of them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. The second thing that I want you to see about Job is that he was a family man. He was present. He was present. Don't think for a second that he wasn't a busy man. Well, when you have this kind of wealth, 
Yeah, you have people working for you, but you are also very, very busy. Don't think for a second that he wasn't busy. He was a family man. He was present. He loved his children. But he did not love his children before he loved his Lord. He wanted to make sure that his children, even if they might have sinned, he wanted to make sure that he was offering up sacrifices on their behalf, praying for them. Job prayed for his family. They had feasts, they had celebrations. Job knew this. So what did he do? He offered up sacrifices on their behalf. Just in case. Just in case they sinned in their hearts. This is how good a man he was. He cared about his, right, his children's righteousness. He prayed for them. And the Bible tells us that he didn't just do this once, but rather he did this continually. He prayed for his family. And this is a very convicting message and very convicting passage of Scripture. Because as fathers, a lot of times we leave it to the mothers to do that job. We might tuck them in at night in bed and give them a kiss. Or as they get older, call them or whatever. But do we take that opportunity to stop and to pray for them? Do we call them just to pray with them? When we see them, do we stop and say, Hey, let me pray with you. The Lord has convicted my heart to begin to do that more. I'm a work in progress. I'm not perfect. And I see it and the Lord shows this and He really reveals these things to me. And He says, Matthew, pray for this person. Pray for them when you see them. Wrap your arms around them and pray for them. And I've tried to be more obedient to that. Pray for your children. Wrap your arms around them. Call them on the phone. Whatever you have to do. And pray for them. Take time to be present. Adrian Rogers said at one time in one of his messages, the greatest thing that a man can do for his family, and he spelled it out was this, T-I-M-E. Time. Job did that. He was a man that prayed for his family. Scripture teaches us that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In the book of James in 5 and 16 it tells us that. And as fathers, as men, or even as women today, Our families, we must place the Lord first and pray for our families. Then the third thing that I want you to see, and and finally, before we leave out of here this morning. Notice that Job was the leader of his home. Remember the wife coming and 
to him later on and said, just curse God and die. Remember that? When everything, when everything fell apart. Job was the leader of his home. The headship in the home was in proper order. Today our headship and our homes have been taken and skewed. I mean, primarily through TV, but through teachings at school and different things. It paints the picture of a man that is weak, whimsical, and just just a weakling. It's taken that responsibility off of him and it has placed it on the mother. And you see that in, in, in society today. The sitcoms, and I love to watch a good sitcom, I, just, I truly do. But it's rare that you see a man who is leading his family in a sitcom. It's always the mother bossing everybody around. This is not God's divine order, according to Scripture. It just isn't. Before it speaks of this woman who told him to curse God and die, it speaks of a righteous man who prayed to the Lord. Job was the leader of the home. Fathers, it is, it is our responsibility, whether your children are young or whether they are old, to lift up our children to the Lord. It's not just the wife's job. It's not just for the mama to do. But the divine order was established in the garden. And before we close, I want you to to notice something that I, I see in this, I think that stands out to me maybe the most, is the integrity and character of Job. Before calamity struck, before calamity struck, he was already praying to the Lord. This is what jumped out at me more than anything else. Why? Because so often we wait for calamity to strike. And then we say, oh, now it's time to pray. When we should have been praying all along. Job was already praying. So when calamity struck, Job ran to the only one he knew that could help. He was familiar with this man, this Redeemer. He knew him. He had a relationship with him. And when calamity fell upon his family, Job went to the only one he knew for help. The one that he'd been going to way before all the calamity hit. As Christians, it's so so easy for us just to use him when we need him, isn't it? But, you know, the Scripture teaches us we just can't do that. There are people that do. And I've judged people like that before. But I've done it myself. 
The truth is, is that when we look at our lives in the light of the Lord, He must come first and then our families. And we must go to Him in all things, not just when bad happens to us. Everything must be lifted up to Him in prayer and in thanksgiving. Job's heart was one of a righteous man. He looked to the Lord in all things. He sought Him out and before before calamity and before death came into his family, he was already praying. Job was a praying man and he was righteous. He eschewed evil, abhorred it, put it away from him. And his fathers were to do the same. That's what I gleaned from Job's character and who he was in the first five verses of the book. So this morning, dads, let us be like Job. Let us be like Job. Let us look to the Lord before we look to our own things. Let us stop and pray. Let us pray continually. Let us pray for our children and our families. When the Lord prompts you to stop and to pray with somebody, you know it's always uncomfortable and awkward. And Dickie's not here this morning, so I'm going to pick on him. Because he gets really awkward when it comes to prayer, but he'll just stop you in the middle of, of everything, won't he, David? He'll just stop you right there. You'll be walking and all of a sudden he'll say, well, Lord, let's just, let's just lift this young man up in prayer to you. And I'm thinking, wait, what, what's going on here? Wait a second. And before I know it, Dickie's praying for me. He is praying and he is lifting me up and it is awkward. It is weird at times. Because I'm like, man, where did that come from? But I'm going to tell you something. If we prayed for people when the Lord prompted us to, you'd be surprised at what we could get accomplished. Especially in our homes. And so Job, Job had it all in the, in the, in the eyes of the world. But before that, he had the Lord. And he loved Him. Job knew who his Redeemer was was do you and if you do is he first and if he's first are you trusting him in all things before disaster before calamity are you already praying for your family it's never too late to start no matter how young or how old you are it's never too late to start so happy Father's Day. There's some gifts up here on the front. Uh, I'm not going to pass them out. I'm actually not going to talk to anybody. When I get done here, I am leaving because Casey does have COVID. Don't want to pass it. You didn't get it from me. You can't blame me for it. So I'm going to stay away. But let's go to the Lord in prayer.